Welcome to Warriors Off-Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports columnist Scott Osler to break down Golden State's Game 3 win over the Cavs and to look ahead to Game 4. Here we are at the, the Westin uh, Hotel in downtown uh, downtown Cleveland, uh, late at night, full disclosure, it is actually 3.16 a.m. Uh, Cleveland time. Um, you know, the reality is when you cover when you cover sports for a living, um, you know, a lot of times after a game, you got that adrenaline pumping, and even for a few hours after the game, you uh, you, you can't go to sleep. And so Scott and I, uh, after, you know, leaving the arena, uh, and hanging out for a little bit, we're like, you know what, it's, you know, it's late, but we're not tired. Let's, let's record the, let's record the podcast right now. So here we are. Um, it was a, it was a fun game. It was a crazy game, not quite as crazy as game one, but definitely more entertaining than game two. Um, it was an interesting game in the sense that, both of the Splash Brothers, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, struggled mightily from the field, um, and they were bailed out by Kevin Durant, who, you know, we we've seen it time and time again. He he has this unbelievable ability to wipe away a team's issues. You know, like they the Warriors can struggle in a lot of aspects of the game, but if Kevin Durant is playing well, I feel like they're probably going to win especially against an inferior opponent, which, let's be honest, pretty much the whole league is inferior opponents at this point. But but the for a finals matchup, I feel like the Cavs are pretty inferior. Uh, so what what was your big takeaway tonight? What, what, was, what was your biggest thought? When you're, talking, you're talking about what a great series this is. I think you mentioned that. And, you know, it's true. It's, okay, it's 3-0 Warriors, and you would think, that all right, they're making a runaway, and they'll probably win win the next game. It'd be a four four nothing sweep, and be kind of boring. But actually, the first three games have been pretty good. All the games have been good, right? Uh, they've all been close. Tonight was you know tonight the Warriors lost or were down by twelve points at one one point in the first half um, on the visiting court, and they were not playing well, and they were not shooting. Steph and Clay were not shooting well, and it looked like they were in trouble. It really looked like they were in trouble, right? And the last game, even though they, you look at it in retrospect, it looks like they won easy, they struggled. There were several times when they were, the Cavs cut the lead to four, five, six, and were making a run, and the Warriors had to fend them off. So it's been a good series. That's one thing that, that strikes me. And, but tonight's game was weird. Each game, you know, it's weird how each game is, is a separate, completely separate entity, has a whole different personality. No two games are like, like snowflakes. But this game it w- w- was strange. It was, this game was all obviously Dur- Kevin Durant. Um, for the Warriors, offensively, he played phenomenally. He, <laughs> you go back to the Hamptons. This is why they picked him up, right? Um, he he was phenomenal. He was Kevin Durant. It was amazing. But uh, as I wrote, you know, Stephen Curry in the last four or five, four and a half to five minutes was really sensational. Hit two big shots, one his first three pointer, and um, made some really good defensive plays, including on LeBron James. And um, so, very interesting game. You got JaVale McGee making a significant contribution. So, uh, a lot of great aspects. 
Yeah, as you as you mentioned, uh, this is the reason they they signed Durant in 2016 was actually for this specific type of moment because after the Warriors lost the 2016 finals to the Cavs, why did they lose that finals? They lost it for a few reasons, but one of the big reasons was that they struggled with the Cavs' physicality. And when the Cavs got physical with them and kind of forced them away from their movement-heavy principles, they didn't really know how to respond. They didn't have someone that they could lean on for a bucket when everything else fell apart. Curry and Clay, for as phenomenal as they are, are guys who kind of need the system to, to flourish. And when they're not hitting threes – you know, at that time, in, back in 2016, the offense really stagnated and they, they could be beaten, which which they obviously were. And so adding someone like KD, it, he gives you the ultimate, you know, the ultimate parachute. You know, he gives you, you know, if everything goes wrong, just give the ball to KD and let KD be KD, which they've had to do a lot this season. Obviously, Curry was – you know, injured a lot in the regular season. And then in the playoffs, it took a while for, for Curry to finally kind of get back into form and be himself and to start playing like like himself. Um, and, you know, KD was really critical early in that series against against the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals where, you know, he they were winning games convincingly by just running ISO ball with – with Durant and it was actually working really well. And then I think that ended up getting a little bit stale and, and they had problems, but um, we saw tonight, like, you know, it, it's okay. Like almost no team in NBA history could have players, the caliber of Curry and Clay Thompson, not hit shots and still win a game against a team that's good enough to be in the NBA finals. But because of Kevin Durant, the Warriors are able to do that. And, you know, Kevin Durant had 43 points, career high in the playoffs, 43 points, 13 rebounds, and seven assists. Um, so it wasn't just it wasn't just the scoring. You know, he did a great job attacking the glass, which is really important against the Cavs because even though Kevin Durant had 13 rebounds, the Warriors still got out-rebounded 47-37. to 37. And they got out-rebounded on the offensive glass 15-6. to six. I think the last game they were at nineteen to four. I mean that that's been the only that's been the biggest reason why the Cavs have been able to make this competitive is because they're able to attack the offensive glass, get extra possessions, and that helps you know them hang close. Um, that all being said, the, the another big reason the Cavs were able to keep this competitive is a guy people other than LeBron James contributed. <laughs> Which, which is something they've desperately needed. You had a guy, you had Rodney Hood, who, who was actually a relatively big story. A guy who averaged 17 points per game this season for Utah was a was considered the biggest get they had at that trade deadline and all those moves. And then literally played four minutes total in the first two games. Came off the bench and had 15 points on seven for 11 shooting. Did exactly what they needed him to do. J.R. Smith. Had a little bit of redemption from that game one blunder with 13 points. Kevin Love, um, 
had 20 points, was especially big in that first half. He had 15 of those 20 points in the first half and, you know, helped them get that lead at halftime. So it wasn't just LeBron. LeBron, of course, still finished with 33 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. But he only shot 13 for 28 from the field, which is a much lower clip than he did in the first two games. And I think that that's largely because of this guy named Andre Iguodala. Yeah, it was kind of nice to have uh, Iguodala back for the Warriors, I think. <laughs> Just another guy to throw at LeBron. And and by the way, talking about defense defense on LeBron, um, you know, they they're, one of their strategies is to keep switching so you get Stephen Curry covering LeBron, which is obviously a brutal mismatch, right? But Curry has played him not only enthusiastically, but pretty effectively. Like in the first, in the, I'm sorry, in the last four minutes uh, of tonight's game, he wound up guarding LeBron, I don't know, three or four times maybe, and actually played him pretty well, you know, played him into a, a, a missed layup one time. And and uh, the the strategy of isolating LeBron on Curry is not really as effective as I think the Cavs would hope it would be. But uh, and, and going back just a second, going back to, to – uh, to Durant, uh, an appreciation for him, you know. Um, a lot of us n- didn't see him a lot until the last two years when the Warriors got him. But to watch him play on a on a regular basis is kind of incredible, right? You got to when you put it in a historical perspective. There's nobody ever has ever played like this guy. This guy's amazing. LeBron James has a different style of game. LeBron James is is a great is a great player, but you know his game is bruising people. He's a tough guy, and he and he bruises people. Kevin Durant is like he goes through an entire game without hurting anybody. Without you, you almost think think of him as soft, but he's a phenomenal player. He's a he's kind of like George Gervin mixed with I don't know who else, but um, just a, a delight to watch. He's an incredible, incredible offensive player. And tonight he was at his best and on a, on a big stage. And I think Durant has. Struggled a little bit, maybe more so this year than last year for some reason, to find his way with the Warriors, you know, to fit in, to, to, to mesh with their offense, to fit in with Curry and all that stuff. And you wrote about it the other day, about how when they work together, it's perfect, but it doesn't always happen. But um, So he's not just a selfish guy who's out there trying to get his points. He wants to fit in. He wants to be part of the team and stuff. But on a night like this, he was just he was just amazing. Yeah, I think one thing that has been one of the more intriguing developments this season is the fact that life has been more difficult for Durant. The reality is it's been more difficult for everyone. You know, the the Warriors have been a lot more inconsistent this year than they were last year. And a lot of that just goes back to the fact that they're chasing something for the fourth straight year and there's complacency to that and there's a mental toll that comes with that. And we've written and talked about that a million times, but... I also think there's another element, especially with KD. You know, this is his second year with the team, and a lot of people think the second year is going to be easier because you're com- you 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 know how to work with everyone, you know how to get into a rhythm, you you know everyone's strengths, you know everyone's weaknesses, you know their tendencies. But the sophomore slump thing is is real, um, and there's and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that. You know, the whole league spent all last year watching what they did, and now they're, they studied it. They tried to figure out ways to 
not stop it, but at least make life a bit more difficult for them. There's that. And then there's also the fact that, you know, Curry was injured so much this season that I think Durant has had to go back and forth in terms of being the unquestioned number one guy to having to defer to Curry when Curry comes back. And when, when Curry, Curry missed, you know, the pretty much the last two months of the regular season, miss all of Mar- most of March and April, and then, you know, missed the entire first round of the playoffs. And then mid-playoffs, Curry comes back, and Durant's basically being asked, okay, you know that you know everything you did the past two and a half months where you were our guy and you were forcing one-on-one situations and beating your man off the dribble? Yeah, stop doing that because we have this guy, Steph Curry, who we build our offense around, and it's mid-playoffs, and so you just need to change the way you've been playing. And I think that was more difficult – than people realized. Also, you add in the fact that Curry wasn't 100% when he came back and, you know, wasn't able to do the things you're used to him doing. So it was it created an interesting dynamic where, that we really saw in the West Finals where he was getting more blowback from Warriors fans than I've ever seen. I mean, we're used to him getting blowback from the rest of the league, other fans, for his decision to come to the Warriors, but... Warriors fans were mad at him in the West Finals, especially when they lost um, when they lost those two games in the middle of the series um, because he was kind of doing a lot of iso ball and the team was getting away from what they do, and a lot of people blame that on him. What do you think of that whole development and how he responded to all that? That was, to me, really interesting because – to me, the whole reason Kevin Durant came to Golden State wasn't the, the detractors will say he came here to get rings, right? He came here just to get get championships. I think it goes way, way deeper than that. I think he came to Golden State because he wanted to play the best basketball on the planet that he could could play he, with the best teammates and with the best coaching and with the just the whole system. He's not he's not just a basketball player. He's a basketball. He's so deep into basketball. He loves basketball, and he loves it at a higher level than most of us can understand. And he he doesn't want to be a star. He doesn't want to be Kevin Durant, the guy who gets 40 points and stuff. He wants to be part of the whole system. He came here to play with Steph Curry and, and the rest of the guys. And so I think that bothered him. He, you know, he's a, as you know, he's a guy who does a lot of thinking. He's a, he's a contemplative guy. You know, he thinks about stuff. He doesn't just say – game's over kind of like clay thompson game's over okay we'll wait till the next game clay has a more simplistic outwardly simplistic outward look on basketball life but durant kind of looks at it more deeply and i I think a lot of the criticism really got to him really bothered him and uh because i don't think he wants to be he doesn't want to be the villain he doesn't want to be the guy that screwed up the the warriors and turned it back into kevin durant's show um so he's (laughs) He's deeply invested in the team, but also he knows how good he is, right? Comes down to crunch time, he knows that the guys need me to score, I'm going to back my, my guy down and score. And uh, so to me it's a constant, uh, every every game is different, but it's a, it's a like a soap opera, you know, a psychological thing with all the guys. It was really, I was really confused by his game one performance because – he wasn't just not hitting shots. He was playing really timidly. He was he looked not mentally engaged. 
he that missed box out late, which obviously led to the offensive rebound by Jarrah Smith, which led to the mental lapse that we'll never forget. Um, if if not for J.R. Smith's mental lapse in that game, it would have been Kevin Durant wearing the dunce cap because he had a really bad game. Offensively and defensively, he got killed over and over by LeBron. He could not stay in front of LeBron at all. LeBron got 50 point, 51 points and did it pretty easily. Um, and so, and I think part of me feels like it goes back to what you said where I feel like knowing – Katie a little bit having spent some time with him the past couple of years he's one of the most he's the most sensitive superstar I've ever been around he reads everything that's written about him he knows what's being said and it bothers him on a personal level it does I mean he's human being and I think a lot of people look at someone like him and they're like he's invincible like why would he care about what we all think because he's such a big deal well he's a human being and that stuff really does bother him as we've seen with the whole Twitter snafu and, and the, you know, fake Twitter accounts or whatever. And, and all those things. And also there's been other examples of his sensitivity kind of hurting him in a lot of ways uh, with the whole Russell Westbrook thing and, you know, all that. But um, I, I actually think that that really played a factor. And I think that was a part of the reason why he came out. So, off in game one and they, they, it wasn't like he had time to kind of get over it like it, it was only a couple of days after game seven of the west finals and um but you know a credit to him he looked at the game film he made corrections and then he came out in game two and played perfectly off curry and one thing that i think makes durant great is he's really good at having a read on the pulse of a game and knowing when to throttle up his offense, when to throttle it down, when to play more of a facilitating role, when to be the go-to guy offensively. like That's the biggest reason why he and Curry have worked. It's not just the fact that he's selfless. It's that he knows how to to work in any type of system. And um, I think tonight he just saw that, you know, he actually said it in his postgame. He saw that Clay and Steph weren't going, and he – told Kerr, he's like, okay, give me the ball. Like, I got this. Like, it's all good. We're still going to win tonight. I was talking to uh, Durant uh, during the middle of the season, late in the season, I guess, and and he told me something I, I thought was really kind of profound. He said, um, he said, I used to think that basketball was all about the the glamour and, you know, the money, the fame, going out, having people recognize me having all the trappings and all that stuff. But he said, I realized that it's really about the game. It's about basketball. And uh, I, I processed that interview, and then I, just, I didn't think to ask him at the time, but then I saw him like a day later, and I said, when did that happen? When did, that, when did you come to that realization? And I thought he would say, you know, three years into my career, four or five. And he said, last summer. So I think, and that would be when he came to the Warriors. And... Uh, he realized that it's all about basketball. He he really doesn't care about. I, I surely believe that he doesn't care about being famous, about being rich, about getting the tables at the restaurant, about walking out in public and having hey, there's Kevin Durant, having people say that. It's all about the basketball, and so um, it bothers him when things aren't going right. Like we talked about game one, you you mentioned game one. He was way out of sync. His his stats were fairly decent in game one, but 
had made some terrible plays and his game was not what he wanted. So um, it's just interesting to me how he and Curry and Clay and all those guys fit together and they're constantly working on it. People, I think people assume that it's a finished product. Get all these guys together, okay, Kerr gives them their plays, boom, they go. But in reality, it's it's not only game to game, but it's play to play. They're they're kind of figuring out how to do this against super high level competition. No, definitely. And so, kind of looking ahead a little bit, we got game we got game four on Friday. Obviously, the Warriors have a chance to sweep. No team in NBA history has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit in the playoffs in at any level of the playoffs, first round, second round, West Finals, East Finals, whatever. Um, do you? What do you think happens? Do you think it's one of those situations where the Warriors kind of get a little complacent being up 3-0 and lay an egg and, and let this series be extended? Because we all know who's going to win this series at this point. It's just a matter of how long does it last. Um or do the Cavs kind of say, like, yo, like, it's widely the inevitable, it's over? Well, there's always LeBron. And LeBron is like the, you know, they say when the, there's a nuclear destruction of the earth, the, only the cockroaches will be standing. LeBron is the NBA version of that. There's nothing that's going to get him down. You could You could put him with six YMCA guys. In, in game four, and he's just going to go out battling. So, you you can never you can never take anything for granted against LeBron. And I think that the Warriors are really, really, really fired up and determined to win this in four. I don't think they're going to be in the slightest bit of cruise control going into game four because they don't want to mess around with this. They they blew a three one lead to Cleveland two years ago, and and it's still that's still a huge huge stain on their record and on their brains and all that stuff they they don't want any part of any kind of cleveland comeback or, and so i i don't think there's going to be the slightest bit of letdown for the for the warriors so um they just got too many guns you know steph curry couldn't hit anything tonight clay thompson could barely hit anything tonight those two guys are they're those two guys are not going to have the same kind of game in game four and uh to me it's over I agree. It's over. And uh part of I'm kind of saying that selfishly just because I don't, you know, when when you're covering something like this, it's like you don't want to delay the inevitable. It's like let's let's move let's move forward. Let's get into the off season. Let's start, you know, talking about the draft and what have you. But no, I think it's over. Um the reality is a lot of things went the Cavs way tonight. You know, they they had a real team effort. Rodney Hood going off, you know, J.R. Smith hitting shots. They they had a lot of things go right, and they still lost. And the Warriors had some really important things go wrong, and they still won. You know, like, and that was the big talking point from the Cavs post game was our margin of error is so small against this team, and it almost it almost felt like they were waving the white flag, being like. Yo, our margin of error is so small. Like, just to even get a win, one win, like, everything has to go our way and everything has to go wrong for them. And tonight felt like one of those nights where that was close to happening, but, you know, when push comes to shove, you they still have Kevin Durant. The Warriors still have Kevin Durant. And 
Um, so it, it, they felt defeated post game and I just, I have a tough time seeing them in two days coming out and, and doing enough to steal a win. Let's put it this way. If the Cavaliers were to come back, win game four, win game five, win game six and win game seven, it would be the most colossal comeback in maybe sports history. And it would be the biggest choke job in the history of the NBA. And, uh, and the, the Warriors don't even want to flirt with that, I don't think. So it's, it'll, it'll be serious basketball in game four. All that being said, uh, Scott and I, and I, as well as Ann Killian, who I, I believe is asleep at this point, <laughs> um, it will be, uh, we'll be here in Cleveland keeping you up with, with all the updates. Uh, so stay locked and loaded with us on Twitter, sfchronicle.com, sfgate.com. And uh, we'll definitely be be reconvening for a finals wrap up, or also possible previewing Game Five, which we're not going to lie, we'd probably be prefer to do the former. But uh, yeah, def- definitely stay stay with us. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is "Thank You for Playing" by Ryan Little courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more Warriors coverage, you can follow us on Twitter at con underscore cron and at Scott Osler. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com. Also, follow us on iTunes, and if you have some time, give us some feedback.